Man, it's good to see you guys today. I'm David. I'm the pastor. If you're a guest, we're so glad you're here. And I know you're always welcome. Whatever you have going on, there's probably in front of you in a little chair pocket a connect card. You can fill that out if you want to and let us know you were here. Uh, last two weeks I've been gone. Appreciate uh, Joe and uh, Brian did a great job preaching in the services. They always do excellent. It's good to know I can leave things in those guys' hands and Troy and Barry in the 830. Um, we're seven weeks from Easter. And uh, next week, I'm starting a seven-week series uh, entitled Jesus on the Cross. We're going to look at the seven things that Jesus said on the cross leading up to Easter. I thought I'd start the service today. It was a paper clip. That drives me nuts if I don't move it. That's not really the official way to do it. I just know what else to do. <laughs> not that bright. Uh, you know, people say, what did you look like when you were younger? So I thought, I, y'all just put a picture up there of me, what I looked like when I was younger. <laughs> I was a pretty boy, wasn't I? I played a little tennis, had the hair, skinny. I don't know why it says Agassi up there. But Andre and I looked a lot alike uh, back in the day. He was, if you don't know that, it's Andre Agassi. He was a professional tennis player, late 80s, early 2000s. Number one ranked player in the world part of that time. One of five guys who has won all four of the tennis grand slams. Australian, French, U.S. Open, and uh, Wimbledon. And Andre Agassi loved his image. And uh, Cannon... Uh, uh, cameras, and if you millennials don't know, a camera is something we used to take pictures with for uh, phones. Uh, they did this campaign called Image is Everything. And Andre, I loved his image, and that's a true statement. In fact, uh, what we're going to look at today in the message today is entitled Image is Everything, checking from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. You can turn there, or it's just going to pop up, and I'm going to read it because it doesn't take long. Here it is. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. So here's what I want you to see from the message today. It's just this. Your understanding of the influence of the image of God will shape influence in your determinant of your understanding of what it means to be human. It's that important image is everything. Your understanding of the image of God, even if you don't have a view of the image of God, even if you reject the idea of we're creating the image of God, still that shapes, influences, and determines how you view humanity, period. That's just the way it is. And so what I'm going to do today is I'll talk about the image of God. And I just want to kind of begin this way in some general stuff and say there are times, there are times when our entire belief system is challenged by the simplicity of what God has to say to us. There are times that what you believe, what I believe, is challenged, not by the complexities of God, but by the simplicity of what God says to us. Um, When you come to church, we always want you to come to church and leave this place always knowing that God loves you. You should always know God loves you. We always want you to know that Jesus will save you if you will trust him. We always want you to know that there is hope in your life as long as you draw breath. There is hope, and we want you to know that that we love you, that as the pastor here, that, that I love you, no matter what. We want you to know that. But just because those things are always true, that doesn't mean that every time you leave this place, you should always feel good about yourself. Sometimes you ought to leave here, and you ought to be conflicted. There are times when you leave here, you ought to be challenged. See, we understand all of us do things in life that are wrong. All of us, especially as followers of Christ, know that we at some point rebel against God. Even as Christians, we rebel against God. And so there ought to be times you come to church and you're confronted. Today's should be one of those days. And we ought to ask ourselves really two questions from time to time. Uh, are we or are you really 
uh, where God wants you to be? And are you in agreement with God? In your life, are you where God wants you to be? And do you agree with God? Sometimes I'm not where God wants me to be. I need to change that. And I have found that sometimes I'm not in agreement with God. That causes a problem. The image of God is is a very simple concept, but it can be a very difficult thing to fully grasp. And every time I preach it, it's a challenge for me. I really, you know, I I spent weeks on this message. This is a message that began almost a year ago in this infant stage, and I have preached from this passage many times. And it always challenges me. You see, there, there are four pillars of, of the Christian faith. Uh, two we share with Judaism, and two are unique to Christianity. The two that are unique to Christianity, and I've shared this before, is incarnation, Jesus is God in the flesh incarnate, and resurrection, God raised Jesus from the dead. Those are unique to Christianity. Christianity rises or falls on those two beliefs, truths. But there are also two pillars that we share in common with Judaism. It goes back to the Old Testament in the Judeo-Christian worldview, and that is the idea of, of revelation and creation. God reveals himself to us. That's revelation. Somehow, some way, God reveals himself to us, and all that we know about God is because he reveals it. In creation, somehow, some way, God created everything from nothing. Don't care right now about all the details of creation or the how. He just created. Those things matter a lot. And because those truths are there, they can cause conflict because culture doesn't always agree with that. Sometimes within Christianity, People don't always agree with those truths. The thing about truth is that it's always true. It can't, it can't be as true for you but not true for me, and it's not truth. It's either always true. There's never a time when truth is false. Truth stands for eternity. And culture finds itself coming in conflict. Even within the Christian church, there are times in our culture, we might, us individually, may find ourselves in conflict. And here's the thing. Truth, though, creates tension. And you need to get this. Truth always creates tension. In a world that is sinful, in a world that has fallen, in a world where things go wrong, truth stands there, and truth creates tension. Really, the world creates tension, the culture creates tension, but it's just easier to say truth creates tension. Now, you come to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and there's so much stuff that I wanted to say, and I just don't have time. Uh, But you have this account of creation. It's over two chapters, and it's one account of creation. And and, and in chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 3, you have this broad overview and then in chapter 2, it narrows down. It's the way Jews wrote. They would give you an overview, then they would come to a narrow part. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 through the rest of the chapter, focuses on the creation of man. But in chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 3, it's the broad overview of creation. And you see these movements of creation. In six days, God created these, these times, these, these creation, these days. And in that creation, there was separation. God, for instance, separates a light from darkness. He create, uh, separates the earth from the sky. He separates land from water. He separates, and then he makes things distinctively. He distinctively creates vegetation. He distinctively creates birds. He distinctively creates fish. He distinctively creates humans. That's how he does this. And so we understand that. And in that truth, there's going to come conflict. But in all of that creation, we see that there is the creation specifically of humans. And here's what we need to see. There is something different about humans. In the creating us, there is something different about it. So it starts off in verse 26. God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now right off the bat, you notice God says the term us. That uh, there's a plurality. So what, what does that plurality mean? Some would say that, well, you know... The Jews borrowed creation accounts from the pagans and just left that in there. They didn't clean it up well, which is kind of just silly when you realize that Jews were strictly monotheistic. 
First place, the Jews believed, as Christians should believe, that Moses wrote all of it. That God, that God used Moses to write Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, Leviticus. Now, you know, people don't want to believe that's fine. Here's all I will say to you. I don't have time to deal with that whole subject. Jesus said and believed that Moses wrote all that. Okay, You can research that. Jesus affirmed that Moses wrote the law. He wrote the first five books. And if Jesus affirmed it and believed it, I'm going with him. Period. I'm good. So the idea that Moses would, would, would borrow from pagan accounts is just crazy because they were strict monotheists. And that they were dumb enough to leave that in there is also crazy. That just didn't happen. Um, Christians like to say, well, it's the Trinity. That here you see the doctrine of the Trinity. That's God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the Trinity is an, is an eternal truth. Okay? But it doesn't get revealed to us in the Old Testament. It's not revealed to us until the New Testament. The Jews had no concept of God, one God, three persons. So, so it's, not, you can't, it's not the Trinity. It's not, you know, people say, well, it's the angels. You know, God is talking to the angelic, the heavenly host, the court. Yeah, maybe. Or that God is, the, the author, you know, Moses is writing in majestic terms, you know, with literary devices, maybe. But most likely, here's what it is. When God reveals himself to us, the doctrine of revelation, the truth, he makes sure that we understand that language can't fully contain God. And so a singular God uses the plural to express the fullness of and the completeness that we cannot imagine. And in part, you have here, not the doctrine of the Trinity, you have the Genesis, the very beginnings, one God with three persons. And here God, a singular God, uses a plurality to express his holiness, his divinity, his awesomeness. Let us make in our image, in our likeness. The word image and likeness really are are parallel statements. Image has the idea of of an idol, of an icon. Something that looks like something. Uh, similarity, our likeness has the idea of similarity. It's similar. So the parallel statements, but they're, they're complementary. And so God is saying, I'm creating man somehow to reflect something about me, and that is the image of God. Now, we, people debate, what is the image of God? And so some folks say that the image of God is structural. There's something about us that structurally, substantively is like God. That we have a soul. And that our soul is, lives on. And with the soul, we have certain abilities that the rest of the creator world doesn't have. We have the ability to conceptualize our place in the world. Um, we have the ability to think abstractly, to think morally, to contemplate what my, what my place is in life. So I can stand up here and I can talk to you and I can understand what my relationship is to you and where I fit in the world. Then I'm the pastor and, I, and I'm bringing messages that I create and, 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 the, and the Holy Spirit leads me, but I create. And, and so you're listening and so there's, there's a place that we all have. Some folks think that to be made in the image of God is relational, that God is a relational God, that we have a relationship with him, which is true, and that we have relationships with each other. So in Genesis 3, God walks among the garden looking for Adam and Eve because of his relationship. God creates us so that we might relate to him. Now, be careful. Don't, don't believe that God... Sometimes kids ask their parents, well, mom and dad, why did God make us? And, and you want to keep things simple and say, well, because God needed someone to love. Don't tell them that. That's not true. God didn't need... Anything. Don't teach your kids that there's something deficient in God just so you want to keep it simple. Be truthful, even if it's a little more complicated. God created us so that we might relate to him and experience that relationship. So we're relational beings. God also, would some would say, part of the idea of image of God, some might say it's about functionality, that God gives us a function. In the rest of verse 26, we see that we are to function over the created world. In chapter 2, we're to function over the world. The truth of the matter is, it's probably not just any one of those ideas, structure, relationship, or functionality, but all of them are part of the image. God creates us in his image. It involves all of that. In other words, put it this way. 
To be human is to reflect the image of God. It is to reflect a God that has functionality, relationships, and has a structural component, the ability to morally think. All of that is true in us. All of that means to be created in the image of God. So in verse 27, then, we see that God speaks. And it says to us, the author writes, that God then created man in his image. In, in his image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so you see the word created used uh, three times. The word created is important. Uh, it is found in chapter 1, verse 1. The very first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created. And the word create uh, means to make something and to fashion something. And in chapter 1, verse 1, it is to create something from nothing. So we believe God created everything there is out of nothing. And the process right now, I don't, I don't care what you think about the process. But there was, I, I, whenever I preach from Genesis 1-1, this is what I say, inevitably. There was a time when there was nothing but God. Then there was a time when all that changed. God made something from nothing. But when he created man and woman, uh, he created them from something. In chapter 2, we know that man came from dust. Woman came from the side. And so that's important. And it says here, and get this, he created us male and female. He created us uh, to identify that way. What's interesting is that in the rest of the created world, we identify the rest of creation by kinds. Okay? But the humans are created by their gender or their sexuality, as we used to say in the old days. Um, so you, you put it this way. If, if I tell you we have, my wife and I have pets, you may say, what kind of pets do you have? We might say, we have dogs. You might say, what kind of dogs do you have? We would say, we have a chihuahua. A little white one that's mean, a little brown one that's friendly. So just if you come over, which we'd rather you not, but if you come over, I'm just kidding. We'd love for you to come over uh, if you can find us. Uh, the chihuahua, the brown one will greet you and lick you, and the little white one will snip at your feet. I mean, it's just, that's just, but, but they're kinds of dogs. But we don't speak that way of children. If you come up to me and say, I'm going to have a baby, I don't say, what kind of baby are you having? <laughs> Maybe if you're from Roswell, I might do that because I'm a sure. <laughs> just kidding. Don't worry about it. It's all right. It's just a joke. Don't take it too seriously. But what I would say to you, oh, really, are you having a boy or a girl? We want to know about sexuality. And so sometimes some of you, you have beautiful kids, and, they'll, and they'll, I'll see the little baby for the first time, and I look at the little baby, and I know that what kind is a human, but I can't tell if it's a boy or a girl. And so when I can't tell, sometimes I say, oh, what's your baby's name? Because I don't know if it's a boy or a girl because they all look alike. They're all bald, basically. They have hair. And then you'll probably say something like, um, you know, it's Pat or something, which won't help me at all. Whatever, but you'll... Yeah, you'll tell me. So we understand that. So here's the thing. When God made us this way, and you keep reading on in Genesis, he made us, he made man to need completion and to be complimented. So he, he made man, basically, you know, it says in chapter 2, man was alone. Adam was alone. He needed a helper suitable for him. The idea of a helper is someone to come alongside and compliment him. Suitable means to correspond, to go face to face. He looked at all of the created world, and there was nothing that would work. So God took the side created Eve and man and woman complete and complement each other. I preached a whole series on that last May. I don't need to go into the details. But this is the way God had it. One man, one woman would spend their life together completing and complementing each other. Now, we live in a sinful, fallen world. Sin enters the world in chapter 3 of Genesis. And so a bunch of things change. And, and you, you can read in the Old Testament all the crazy things that happen in human relationships. But that wasn't the way God intended it. You see, the truth is, this is what God wanted Sin came along, but truth didn't change. Culture changed, people changed, society changed. God didn't ever change. And so this is what we need to see about creating the image of God. This is where it becomes important. If to be human is to reflect the image of God, then understand this. Humans are then defined by our sexuality and by the fact that we bear the image of God. We are unique. 
within creation. Only humans reflect the image of God. That makes us totally and completely unique within the created world. Now, probably at this point, I've not said anything too drastic or too crazy. So all that's about to change. Because I'm about to make serious statements that I don't care if you're a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ. If you're a guest, this is your first time, you're not your first time. It, it, it should challenge all of us to some degree. Because the image of God is an important doctrine that lives within the context of a culture that is in conflict with God. Our culture that we live in is in conflict with God. I, I, don't, I don't care about your politics. I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter to me, Lake. I don't care if you like President Trump. I don't care if you like Governor Grisham. None of that matters. Truth matters. And you matter. As the pastor, you, you are my concern. So here's, here's what I want you to know. That we love people because they bear the image of God. Because they are human. We love people. That, that's, that's an absolute. So in, um, they came to Jesus and they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? Matthew 22, Mark 12. And he said, love God. And they were all said, okay, that's cool. Love God. And he said, there's a second. It's just like the first. It's, in other words, it's important. Just as important as the first. It comes after the first, but it's just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love other people as you would love yourself. Why would we love other people? Because they are created in the image of God. Did you ever wonder why love is so important? Loving people is so important? Because we're... People bear the image of God. So that when John writes his epistle, he says you can't say that you love God if you don't love your brother. How can you say I love God if you don't love other people? In John 13, verse, uh, 25, verse 34, and this summer I'm preaching in June and July from John chapter 13. And the very first message in that series and the very last message in that series comes from verse 34 and verse 35. And here's what it says. I give a new commandment to you. This is Jesus talking to his apostles right before his death. I have a new commandment for you. You love one another. This is how everybody will know you're my disciple. Everyone will know you follow me if you love one another. That is an absolute stone-cold necessity that we love people. So you have this truth, you know, that we see the pillars of truth, and we have this truth that, that we're created in the image of God. And we have a truth that we love people. So here's what we need to know. There's a relationship between the absolute necessity of truth and the absolute necessity of love. They're never in conflict with each other. We never have to choose, do I side with truth or do I side with love? Sometimes we hear in the Christian world that we've got to keep certain things in balance you know, in the Christian faith. I want to share this with you, and this might be something you not really realized before, but balance is not a Christian concept. I'm not talking about eating a balanced diet. I'm not talking about, you know, balancing work at home. I'm talking about the, the, the metaphysical, uh, the idea, the concept that there was balance. Balance is a pagan and an Eastern mystical the, uh, concept. In, in, the, in, in the Eastern world, I won't go into the pagan world, I don't have time, but in the, in the Eastern theolo- theology, in the Eastern uh, world, Good and evil are seen as equal and opposite forces that, 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 are, that are against each other. And you have to keep them in balance. And that's what karma is. Karma is not Christian, by the way. When Christians talk about karma, I'm like, don't do that. If I, I spiritually, in my mind, I spiritually just slap you a couple of times across the head. I don't physically, because that's not very loving. But in my mind, I'm knocking you upside your head a few times. See, balance is based on a cyclical view of the world. that The world keeps repeating itself. Our, our worldview is a Christian, Judeo-Christian worldview. 
is linear. That world progresses. It keeps moving along. And because the world keeps moving along, it's not about a balance, but it's about relationships. All throughout, especially go to the New Testament, we're constantly reading about relationships. There's a connection, there's a relationship. Always at the same time, we love, and always at the same time, we maintain truth. There is never a time that both aren't absolutes. You can't say, well, you know, i got a lot of truth in my life, but I don't have a lot of love, so I need to push the love up and bring the truth back. No, you may need to push the love up, truth doesn't say. And you may be a really loving person, but you struggle with truth. You can't say, well, I'm going to sacrifice some love so I can have truth. No, you bring the truth up, you keep the love up. That's the way we live. Now, with all that understood, and I'm going to deal with some things now in the culture and the world we live in, understanding that there is truth of which that we are created in the image of God, and there's certain understandings that go with that that's absolute. And truth never, never wavers. It's always absolute. And that one of the things that's absolute is that we love. Then what I want you to know is this. Our feelings and beliefs don't determine truth. God determines truth. And truth always creates tension. Did I mention that earlier? That truth creates tension. So we live in a culture that struggles with certain absolutes. And I, and I get that. I pastored a long time, coming up on 40 years. That's longer than some of you, a good portion you've ever been alive. And so I get things, I understand things. And I'm not, I'm not without sympathy and I'm not without understanding and compassion. And there are three questions that I want to deal with in the context of truth and love and all of this today. The first is this, when, when do we begin to bear the image of God? When is the image of God a part of who we are as humans. This is not a biological question. It's an, it's an ontological question. In other words, it deals with the sense of who we are, our being in the world. I was seeing something interesting the other day. I'd already written this message, and, and I came across something that was on the Internet, actually. And uh, they were talking about um, geneticists. And these weren't necessarily Christians. They were just it was a scientific article. And here's what people who are schooled in the world of genetics say. That at the moment of conception, that, that embryo, that I think the technical term is zygote or something like that. That embryo, that, that which is conceived at that very moment is human. It's not something else. It's human. There is a distinctive human quality to that which is conceived. Now, because of that, we need to understand at that moment that that which is conceived, because it's human, bears the image of God. Even though it's just a little embryo. Because that which is human, remember I said earlier, that which is human reveals the image and reflects the image of God. So for this reason, and for, if this is the only reason it's good enough, in my world, I, I, I support I'm what you call pro-life. It's not about politics. It's not about culture. It's about the fact that I don't have the right to end life. It's not my call. God creates life. It's his. And that which is life is created in the image of God. Now, understand, this is a hot-button issue in the world. And listen, I'm going to preach to get today to all types of people, and I will preach to people who've, who've had abortions and been involved in abortions. I understand that. And listen, God loves you. I mean, I love you. I've, I've pastored a long time. Don't think there are things I haven't dealt with. There aren't many things in life that I haven't dealt with. And this is what I know. It's hard to be human. And sometimes being human, we're in difficult situations, and difficult decisions are made. And sometimes those difficult decisions last a lifetime. And I love you. As a church, we should love you. Let me say this. One of the problems the church has had and Christianity has had is we haven't been very loving to people who need our love. We haven't. I said this over 35 years ago, and I say it to this day. Until you love 
the young woman or the older woman, it doesn't matter, who has had an abortion, as much as you claim to love the unborn child, you have no credibility with anybody. You've missed the mark. Jesus didn't say, love people, except love isn't conditioned on circumstances. As a follower of Jesus, he says, this is the commandment I give to you. This is how people know you're my disciple, that you love everyone, no matter what. And at the same time, truth is still truth. It's complicated because truth creates tension. And we live in that tension. And you know what? As a father of Jesus, I don't get to walk away from the tension. In fact, here's my task. I go and I walk straight into the chaos and the tension. And I walk into that tension saying... This is truth, and God loves you, and I love you. So let's figure it out. That's the world we live in, whether you want it or not. That's life. The other thing you have to ask is when when are we defined by sexuality, or the term we use today is our gender. And obviously, the moment we're human, God has created us male and female. We know Biologically, as well as theologically, at the moment of conception, you're assigned to the male or female. Now listen, I get people struggle with this, and I understand that. And, and listen, I know that for a lot of folks, especially in the earlier service, this is a hard thing to get, and I get it. I want to tell you, for as long as there's been culture, there has been men who, you know, function as women, and women who tried to function as men. It's, it's, it's age old. And, and for some people, it's a real struggle. And as a pastor, I understand that. And I feel for their struggle. I feel for people who struggle with their identity. I hurt for them. I want to help them. I care about them deeply. But truth is still truth. And truth creates tension. On the other hand, love is still love. And I love them unconditionally. And when they walk through the doors of our church they are welcome because we love them but we'll still preach truth we're not going to change truth to make culture happy there are a lot of churches that try to change the truth to make culture happy but you don't get to change the truth because our feelings and beliefs don't determine truth God does so the other question I want to ask you then is what about the role of intimacy or, or you know, human, human relationships? God said, once a man and a woman spend their life together, Jesus affirmed that. And the New Testament cast a very broad net over sexual sin. It's everything. Lust, Jesus talked about. Jesus hammered on lust. That alone gets 95% of the men in this room. Yeah, it's telling you it's truth. 95% if you fail right there. You look at a woman at some point in your life or someone else and you've objectified them. You're done. You've committed that sin. Deals with fornication. Deals with adultery. Same-sex relationships. Multiple partner relationships. All of that is dealt with in the New Testament. 
And in all of those situations, here's what we know. It's not what God wants. Because the truth is still the truth. But here's the thing. We love people. <laughs> Listen, if we don't love people who've committed sexual sin, and we don't, we don't welcome them, ain't nobody coming to church. <laughs> includes me. Guarantee it includes the band. I mean, nobody coming. Nobody comes. Pick on the band. A little levity. Truth creates tension. But that doesn't mean truth is to be cast aside. We still preach and teach what is true. God desires a man and a woman, and only a man and a woman, and only one of each, spend their life together. So here's the thing. Truth creates tension. Get this. Love removes the tension. So to be created in the image of God means there's truth. And to be a created in the image of God means I love everyone else created in the image of God. Everyone else. There are no exceptions. Period. End of story. And in a complicated, messy world, there are two absolutes that we live by. And it makes it a messy world. But the truth is simple. Your understanding of the image of God will shape, influence, and define and determine your understanding of what it means to be human. And I understand this. Every one of you created in the image of God. And while I'm going to uphold truth to all of you, I'm going to love every one of you. Because every one of you are created in the image of God. If I did my job today, I probably created some tension in your life. Only I didn't create it. You created it. Because you and God aren't always on the same page. Some of you today, I need to ask you, what are you going to do about the truth? You need to accept the truth. You need to make a commitment to truth about what the image of God means. And some of you aren't with God on truth. And so you today, you, you may not be able to change it today. I'm not saying magically overnight you just change your view. But you need to make a commitment to say, God, I'm going to get where you are on truth. I'm going to come to where you are on truth. And so today I ask you to make the commitment to come to God where he is on truth. Some of you struggle with love. Oh, you got the truth thing, but you're not good at loving. And there's individuals you don't love. There's groups of people you don't love. That There's just this whole bunch of things, folks, that create an image of God you don't love. And you're not where God wants you to be. And you need to make the commitment. And this part is instantaneous. That you love Right now. Because that's how people know you're a follower of Christ that you love. Make the commitment to love. We're going to be standing here. If you want to come and pray with one of us, we'd love for you to pray. We'll pray with you. We'll help you. It's a journey. I get that. If you want to join our church, we'd love for you to join. If you want to give your life to Christ, that's fine. We'd love for you to give your life to Jesus. That's the most important thing. And here's what I know. Love, I mean, truth creates tension. Love removes tension. We live with a absolute relationship between truth and love. So, Father, thank you for what we have. Thank you, Lord, that you created us in your image. And while that's simple, it is so complicated to live life that way. So let us, in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, uphold truth and uphold love. To love people and to share truth absolutely and completely. 
And I just ask your spirit to work in the hearts and minds of our folks now. And we will commit to you that which we need to give in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here at the front to greet you. You come.